0: Welcome to The PA Is In, the show created by PAs for PAs, where codependency with your supervising physician is a thing of the past, optimal team practice is the future, and physician associate has taken the place of physician assistant as the professional title of choice. I'm Tracy Bingaman, and I'm obsessed with redefining what success as a PA looks like and what it feels like. Here, you'll find the mindset shifts, systems, and processes I use to escape healthcare burnout and integrate my work into my life. Work-life balance is a myth, and an integrated life where you thrive professionally, not a balancing act, is the goal here. My mission is to help you to grow into a unicorn PA who loves their job, has abundant energy, time to spare, and work-optional financial freedom. The PA is in. Welcome back to another episode of The PA Is In. Today, we have a guest, Alex Christofori. Alex is a sickle cell and hematology PA working at Johns Hopkins University Hospital, and he's going to share with us about his passion for equity and public health and how he uses those to inform the way that he practices medicine. Without further ado, here he is, Alex Christofori. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: So I would love it if you would introduce yourself to me and to our audience. uh, Tell us about you and what you do.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, My name is Alex Christofori. I'm a physician assistant uh, who currently works at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland in the hematology division, specifically in sickle cell disease. Um, I'm originally from Connecticut. Um, I grew up there, spent about 20 years of my life there, went to the state college that everyone goes to, uh, which was a fantastic education, Um, lived in Boston for a couple of years thereafter and worked in emergency medical services as an EMT to get my hours for PA school, Uh, worked like 70 hours a week to get stuff in line, uh, and then moved to Philadelphia to go to Arcadia University. Uh, which is just out in the suburbs of Philly, um, for my master's of public health and physician assistant dual degree. Um, and after graduating from Arcadia, I, I wound up down here in Baltimore um, through a series of very fortunate events and uh, am, am now happily have been here for uh, about a year and a half now. Uh, time, is, time is weird and crazy. <laughs>
0: So you are still early in your career. Do you still consider yourself to be a new grad? Or do you feel like you've stepped into that sort of more senior role?
1: That's an interesting question, because I feel like in some ways, I feel like a new grad. and In other ways, I feel uh, pretty seasoned and comfortable. So I I definitely don't identify as a new graduate. Um, I think that uh, in lots of ways, I still think about the chain of becoming a PA, I think about the processes that happen before PA school about the hours that are required, and uh, the things that people have to do to get into PA school and how accessible or inaccessible they are. And then, um, so in that way, I feel like I'm a new PA because I feel like the further you get from that, sometimes the further, uh, the, the, the less you you tend to think about that. But um, no, I, I, I feel like I'm just now a year and a half in getting to some level of comfort in my day to day regimen and in and, and in my role as a PA, uh, where I can start to focus on expanding horizons in all the other directions that I want to.
0: Yeah, I think there is absolutely this period of either at a new position or in this new career where suddenly you're the person making the decisions, where you don't have a ton of extra brain space or extra energy to sort of say like how can we optimize how can we improve things you're like how can we do sort of what we need to do to keep everyone alive today and make them better and get them home from the hospital
1: right and it's really exciting when you get to the part where you can start right where you where you uh, you automate some of the stuff that you do you sort of you can go on autopilot for the the basics for for getting to work and for answering the emails in the morning and for running through the, the checklists that you need to to get to, to get yourself up to speed for the day or pre-charting or whatever it is. Uh, and once you can get uh, those things down to a regimen, then you're able to, um, you know, listen to the news on the way to work and keep up on public events or read a, a research article in the morning prior to work or, um, you know. Think about things that aren't related to work uh, to, to get your to get yourself ready for the day, uh, and, and it's it's really nice once you once you start to get to that point.
0: Yeah, that you have just a little bit more margin in your life for the extra or the other things to do for sure. So I would love it if you would share how you have been supported and encouraged as a new grad in your position.
1: I was very lucky uh, in the role that I took here at Hopkins, which is part of the reason that I chose it. Uh, Insofar as we have an observership program uh, that was developed by my colleagues and my peers before I got here, uh, in part because sickle cell disease is a very, very niche uh, and specific uh, specialty that we don't get to learn a lot about uh, during our education and so obviously as as a new pa or even as a seasoned pa going into uh, a field that's that hyper specialized you don't have all the tools and the specialty knowledge that you really need to to be effective unless you've worked in specifically hematology or sickle cell disease prior and so we have these observership programs that enable uh, app's from around the country to uh sort of do it's it's comparable to a fellowship insofar as there is um a standardized training program there are uh, shadowing and fellowship like hours that you come and work in the clinic uh, and follow around with seasoned providers but there's also curricula that's dedicated to app's by app's uh, for understanding sickle cell disease and hematology and, uh, in in depth, um, and so when I came to Hopkins, I, I for about a year, I rotated through all of the different roles that I'd be playing as a PA here, and uh, had had really close mentorship uh, and great training with somebody who's been here for seven or eight years and another mp who's been here for three plus years who helped to guide me through the process and enable and empower me to to learn as quickly as i was comfortable in doing so and sort of let me fly but was there for guardrails um and and as i've progressed through that you know uh my attendings that i work with um are fantastic. And part of the reason that this job is so special to me and in general is because uh, the PAs and the NPs here have so much autonomy to practice to the fullest of our scope. Um, But we still have an attending who is present at all times to provide a safety net when we need it uh, to provide their expertise. And but the majority of the time we get to, uh, to, to function really autonomously, which is beautiful and exciting and, and, and what I wanted for my career and what many PAs want for their career. Um, but there's a difference between being autonomous and being thrown to the wolves. And I think that a lot of new PAs have that experience where they, especially in emergency medicine or in family medicine, where you're overworked and your patient load is too large and you don't have the capacity to think deeply about the problems that are coming in front of you, think about a differential diagnosis, to to understand new, more complex problems that are coming in front of you, especially as a new PA. And you just sort of have to learn in the fire. And I had the unique ability to, to, to not have to do that. Uh, there was just enough fire uh, to motivate and to Forced me to learn quickly, uh, to enable me to learn quickly. But there was never a time where I felt like I was drowning, or that I didn't have someone to go to to say, "Hey, this is really complex. I don't know what's happening here. I don't feel comfortable." Um, uh, so, and I, I need a little bit more guidance and a little bit more help. And so, and so, I think that there's it's a careful, it's a it's a line that we have to walk, uh, or that. That, that a good program, a, a, good, a good employer has for, for, a, for a fresh PA or a fresh NP coming into the field to enable them to um, grow quickly uh, and be autonomous and, and have their own drive, but also uh, be supported in, in many ways.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think an orientation program that is robust and intentional and strategic, the value that that gives to the advanced practice provider, that PA or that NP is that it gives you the confidence in your own competence. So like you might have been able to get the right order set or to figure out the right diagnosis or to put in the right referral. But when you first graduate or when you first step into a new specialty, you're like, I think this is what I should do. But, and it sounds like this is, you know, you rotated through various positions uh, that you would be filling in sort of different roles within the hospital. But it was like, you are doing it, but with a little bit of training wheels. And, and that that's not, doesn't mean we don't trust you. It's like, we don't, you haven't proved your confidence yet. And like, we want you to feel good about what you're doing. We want it to be, standardized, we want to all be, you know, using the same recommendations. And the bigger the team, I think the harder it is to do this well, you know, at a smaller practice where you're just at an office, you're going to get that, you know, up to speed a little bit faster than You know, we're in inpatient, outpatient. We do different roles and different uh, abilities. So, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit more about the various different aspects about your job. Are you inpatient only? Do you do clinic? What is a sort of typical, you know, thing that you're doing, and where do you rotate through?
1: Yeah, uh, I I definitely agree with that, and I think that it's a different dynamic everywhere you go. Uh, But I, I. here uh, at, you know, on the sickle cell team. So I work in the Sickle Cell Center for Adults. And so we see folks who are uh, 18 and older, but really 20 and older. Um, and it is an APP-led program. So we have two hematologists who, who are our attendings. Uh, and then we also have two psychiatrists who are part of our team, uh, a social worker, and various other team members but that's the bulk and then we have when i started there were two mps working here and now we have uh six total apps working here uh fulfilling all the roles and that's because we i don't know how the two who are working here we're doing it on their own previously honestly um and they don't they, if you ask them they, they say the same thing
0: don't know either yeah
1: um but so And the reason that we have six is because we have the infusion center, which is in the outpatient setting. It's in the hospital, but it's in the outpatient setting. And it's for uh, acute care visits, urgent care visits, where we uh, infuse uh, fluids and provide analgesic medications via IV or PO. And um, that is one of the roles that we do and one of my favorites. Um, We have the inpatient consults. So all the patients who have sickle cell disease in the hospital who are admitted, uh, our team gets consulted for recommendations on them and we follow them on a daily basis, um, seeing them on the floors that they're admitted to, making recommendations about pain control, about imaging needs, about uh, everything from A to Z really. Um, Then we also have an outpatient chronic care clinic here that we run from the infusion center essentially but uh so standard um, preventative medicine for sickle cell disease so each of the app's has a day of the week where they have uh, a clinic uh where you have follow-up for recent discharges or you have patients that specifically follow uh with you to so you see them and uh the the last piece is uh we were really lucky to be doing a lot of research here at Hopkins, having one of the largest cohorts of sickle cell disease uh, patients with sickle cell in the country. Um, and the APPs are enabled and empowered to be a part of the research process and or lead their own research. and. Uh, you know, even as as a new PA, PA my my mentors and, and my attendings have have uh, seen the things that I'm interested in uh, and and enabled me to be a part of those of, of those research projects as well on top of my uh, clinical roles, which has been which has been really beautiful and exciting. Because as somebody with a master's of public health degree, um, I really wanted to find a place that I could use both and not just in the way that my MPH informed my clinical approach, but in that uh, I could I could use it uh, directly, and, and uh, here's that place.
0: We interrupt this broadcast with a very important announcement. You are not making enough money. Your practice and your physician do not understand the value you are adding to their patients, and therefore, you aren't earning what you're worth. If in the past your requests for a raise have been met with one single word, no. If you're working more hours than ever and seeing more patients, but you're not making any more money and you're feeling pissed about it. If you feel like you've hit the ceiling of your income band, this guide is for you. I've compiled the five most costly and most common mistakes that PAs make when asking for a raise, and I've told you how to avoid them and what to do instead. Download your free guide at tracybingaman.com mistakes. I could imagine that taking care of patients with sickle uh, sickle cell, sickle trait is difficult and challenging in a lot of ways. I think of lots of pain management, recurrent admissions, like the same patients that you're seeing again and again, and that they are in this extremists or, you know, a situation that is really painful and really hard for them to navigate. Yet the reason that we are on this call and the reason that we're recording this episode is because you had posted how you were just so floored by your patient's resilience, optimism, and energy, which was such an interesting take to me because I think of taking care of these patients as like a challenge for them, a challenge for the team to try and help them to lead functional lives, where they're not having pain every day, where they're not having to be recurrently admitted for fluids and analgesics. So I would love it if you could tell me more about this sort of mindset of how, you know, resilient they are and how impressed you are with your patients.
1: Yeah. So when I started here at Hopkins, I was definitely intimidated by taking care of patients with sickle cell disease and and having, um, so much complexity and, uh, so much pain, uh, that they that they deal with. But these patients um, that they've dealt with sickle cell disease since the day they were born, and it has shaped their existence and their approach to life. Um, I think it's also important to think about the weight that they carry on their shoulders as primarily black bodies, right, sickle cell disease is a genetic disease that uh, 99% of, of folks are are African American or of African descent because of uh, the, the disease, and they carry both the weight of systemic racism on their shoulders and the weight of sickle cell disease. And so, like, that in and of itself is enormous, and we know that outcomes uh, among... Uh, Black individuals tend to be worse in lots of categories. And there have been lots of research that attributes that to uh, uh, systemic and generational uh, effects of racism. But then you add the sickle cell to all of this, and you're coming in with pain uh, that is debilitating and excruciating, and frequently has no external uh, objective findings to validate that pain and so you are forced your entire life to convince people that you are actually experiencing the thing that you are uh, and and we also know that you know doctors are and people in white coats are bad at believing uh, their patients uh, who are people of color specifically uh, and believing that they experience pain in the same way and so sickle cell disease is this unique triangulation of the worst uh, exhibition of racism in medicine um, and and uh, all of it is expressed uh, through 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 what these patients experience um, and yet they I have so many patients who are young who come into the clinic who are in 10 to 10 pain and are miserable and still, have the energy to ask me how my day is going or how my family is uh, insist on hearing about it. they don't take like half answers they don't they don't accept like little aside they like want to actually know and and, and they share pictures of their families and um, there's multiple of our patients who have experienced terrible things during their time. Uh, as patients with sickle cell disease and they have founded nonprofits and speak on radio shows and are advocates for people with sickle cell disease they are the sickle cell warriors they are the the people who who fight for for those with sickle cell disease so they can have a better uh, experience and a better life uh with sickle cell disease and a better experience in medicine going forward and so they can have more resources and more support uh to, to work through this and i mean um th- there there are countless individuals who who i, I go in their room and they're admitted and they've been admitted for a week and they're still having nine out of ten pain and they're on a really robust medical regimen uh and they're on their computer giving a talk uh beca- despite the fact that like moments or hours before they were like in tears and pain and and they're they're giving a talk about sickle cell disease or they're um, talking to a senator trying to get a bill passed to enable uh, better access to um, certain medications or uh, enabling funding for opening a new infusion center nearby uh, in, in one of the blackest counties in the country, right? It's, it's there their nonstop um, and their ability to to have this much drive when their hemoglobins are in the single digits and like i would be lying on the floor and not to mention the pain right so it's it's really really beautiful and incredible and so if they can do that Right. If they can do that. And I, as a, a white man who is healthy, who have none of the barriers of society that unfortunately impress upon women, upon people with uh, black skin, uh, if, if they if, if they can have the energy and the drive to make the changes that they've made to medicine and into our world, then, then what what should I have the energy to do? Like what I can certainly dig a little bit deeper and find some time and energy to, to, to make some change. Um, if they can do it.
0: Yeah. It's an important, powerful reminder of everyone having their own unique journey and also, Sort of just that awareness of even you just saying, like, remember, we're terrible at this, right? We, you know, the data tells us, like, we are not taking this subset of patients seriously, that we don't treat their pain adequately because of... Their disease, or because we can't find a reason, or because we classify them as a certain kind of patient in our mind, either overtly or subconsciously. Like this is happening across the country to patients everywhere. So, you've shared with me that you have, you know, focused on practicing in a way that highlights harm reduction and equity and basing the way that you're taking care of patients on actual evidence, which I think we all say that we're trying to do, but the evidence is constantly changing and we're dealing with administrative, you know, all of the things. So I would love if you could share, what is your approach to this? Like, how do you do that amidst all the other demands on your day? And how can we as providers sort of remember to focus on those things, no matter where we're practicing or what we're doing?
1: I think that it's really hard to make time on a regular basis to read uh, academic literature on top of your uh, primary career especially for new PAs who are just coming out of school and you're sort of in that regimen but you're also a little bit burnt and you're like I just want to work and, and go to job, my job and do my thing but um, I always thought that I would be able to get up in the morning and have a stack of papers and like read through at least one of them before my got my work day got started and that absolutely isn't the reality but you are constantly seeing new and complicated things in your position and uh, i again i'm lucky to have a team of attendings who are um, constantly changing the game and building the guidelines for sickle cell disease. And so they are able to point me in the direction of seminal papers and say, you know, I I go to them with a question and they say, you know, here's the answer, but also here's why that's the answer. And here's the paper that directed us towards that. Or here's the data that suggests that um, this medication is synergistic with this medication and it's really effective or Uh, we're sort of out of options here with uh, the phylagonist opioids. Uh, What can we use instead? Can we use partial agonists? Should we be going towards ketamine or lidocaine? And this is the data that we use for it. And so um, I have a desktop that is covered in papers that I've used uh, as self-education or as reference points for things that I've had to use throughout the day and uh, inevitably when I'm consulting on an inpatient service there are residents rotating through our fellows who have questions about why we do things a certain way or don't really understand why we're thinking about a lab a certain way or why it's acute chest syndrome or why it's not and having those papers to pull up and say uh, send them the link and say, you know, on page four, there's this table that really effectively shows that after seven days of an admission, the likelihood of the vasoocclusive crisis being resolved is significantly lower in this populate rate. So it, it it enables you to to have quick access and gives you tools to to focus your your approach in, in evidence based uh, in, in, in strong in strong uh, with strong evidence. And unfortunately, with sickle cell disease, we are in a unique and terrible position that there, up until the past like five to 10 years, research has been really poorly performed. And there hasn't been a lot of it because funding has not been directed in the direction of sickle cell disease. Uh, and so we have very little evidence comparatively to things uh, like cardiology or rheumatology or other, other, you know, bread and butter type, uh, type medicines, um, and so. So the the moral of the story is the to, to to wrap it up, I, I think that um, it's important to have some kind of regularity with which you access uh, academic papers uh, as a point of reference when you're like, I don't really understand why this is a thing or. And then use the opportunity when people ask you questions, when residents ask you questions or they're like, why is it this way? Use that as an opportunity to use an academic paper to provide evidence, but also you learn it so much better when you're teaching it. And so uh, taking opportunities to, to teach back uh, to either a single person or a group of people about a subject that you were previously sort of weak on.
0: Sure. Yeah. And I think in my practice, it has been when I can't answer that question, why? You know, when you say like, this is what we use for this. And then a student says why, or a patient says like, I don't, you know, I want to understand. And you're left a little like, well, uh, it's it's what i learned it's sort of the way we've always done it you know like if you can't sort of if you don't have a deep understanding that you can strongly explain this is why we do this this is how this works um and sometimes you're like you know i'm going to have to look that up and call you you know and with that explanation and so that you know i can make sure i really understand it to help you understand it like that's an okay thing to say as a provider but when you find yourself like you know, this is the way we've always done it. I'm actually not even sure that this is really what we should be doing anymore. Like that's a good opportunity to sort of go back, see what you can find evidence wise and, you know, be more proactive and less reactive about making sure that you have the proper evidence to make sure you're treating your patients the best that you can.
1: Yeah. Very well stated. And also hold yourself accountable because I have a sticky note on my desktop that has you know, that has lists of those things where people ask me a question. I'm like, you know, I don't actually know why we do it that way. Or I wish that I had a better answer to your question. And, you know, there's like 40, 50 things on there. And, and I usually I get to like one or two a week uh, if I'm lucky. If I don't do it in the moment, it's a lot harder to go back to it. But definitely always having that 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 like hunger for for knowledge and that desire to, to answer the why effectively.
0: I've never done this before, but I'm going to share something intimate, literally about my intimates on the podcast. After trying Viber Body Company's certified clean first layer bras and underwear, I threw everything else away. Life is too short to wear bras that don't fit. So schedule your virtual fit consultation with their master bra designer, Heidi. You get to zoom, do live measurements, and find the exact right fit for you before ordering. Use the link in the show notes or the discount code TRACY15 for 15% off your Vibrant Body Company order. Make sure you try the Thong and the Semi-Demi Everywhere Bra. You'll thank me later. Yeah. We are never so good at our jobs that we are able to stop learning because with medicine, there's new research. It's a moving target. There's new evidence. There are new treatments. Like you could be amazing. And tomorrow there will be something that you don't know. It's not that you aren't great at it. It's that things are, you know, things are constantly being developed and discovered that we need to stay up on for sure.
1: Yeah. I agree.
0: So I would love to hear more about your public health background and sort of how that has informed, you know, what you're interested in, what you're considering researching. Do you have any exciting like projects or improvement things that you're working on right now?
1: Yeah. I originally went to get my dual degree just so that it would I could use it to inform my approach to medicine and that when i was in my program i realized wow i, I actually love public health and and want this to be such a, a more and more of a primary focus of of my career um and i remember a, a particular moment when i was early in my program and i read this fact about the percentage of uh the, the percent risk of contracting HIV among black men in particular comparatively to their white counterparts and was blown away that it was something like 700 percent increased risk of contracting it among us in a, in a certain population and 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 I was I was like how is that possible and that's it's it's just such a it's such a particularly representative problem with the way that our healthcare system works and so I, I became, uh very invested in in uh, healthcare disparities and and, and int- interested and invested in them and you know flash forward two years later and I ended up here at Hopkins because I wanted to work uh, with, uh, uh, with with sickle cell disease with with a, a directly where in, in a field where equity is a primary concern rather than a secondary one where, the entirety of, of the care that we are providing is, is focused around making health care uh, more accessible and more equitable for the people that that we're trying to care for um, and I think that it should be a, a primary focus or it, it's something that that I that I that is a primary focus of mine and so that's why I ended up here but um, to answer your actual question um, I thought that my MPH would just guide my focus uh, in medicine and allow me to consider things like social determinants of health when I was treating my patients and think about the whole patient. But um, it's really enabled me to approach things from a research perspective, uh, as well, and to uh, effectively think about the way that we do things and the way that things can change. And so Uh, the APPs here at Hopkins are enabled and empowered uh, specifically in the sickle cell program to be involved in research like I said before and uh, are also involved in quality improvement projects. Now I haven't personally had the bandwidth yet to take on quality improvement stuff uh, and I anticipate that I will in the future but right now uh, we are some of the projects that I'm working on uh, I'm really passionate about young adults with sickle cell disease uh, and the acute increase uh, in mortality that we see as they enter their 20s when they're transitioning care from pediatrics to adult world. And there's lots of reasons that we understand why that's happening. And I understand there's lots of reasons that we don't understand why that's happening. Um, And uh, something that my attending says and something that I've also come to really feel and identify with is that I have a very low tolerance for young people dying, uh, especially when there are preventative causes. And so uh, studying uh, young adult mortality is uh, and, and why it's happening in, in sickle cell disease, but also in general, especially in cities uh, like Baltimore uh, and, and around our country right now, unfortunately, with the prevalence of gun violence and how that is uh, in affecting our 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 young adults uh, both directly and indirectly um and then a couple of the other things that we're doing here or that i'm involved in in terms of our research are uh, app led initiatives which is really exciting Uh, one for buprenorphine which has been a revolutionary medication it's a partial uh, opioid agonist uh, revolutionary uh, for sickle cell disease uh, here at hopkins and in general um so continuing to, to 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 research how effective that can be for our patients but also uh particularly for buprenorphine microinductions, um, uh, so that there's less of an awful transition between the full agonist and the partial agonist and then last but not least um a lot of interest in ketamine uh which is an nmda agonist uh, antagonist um and the way that it synergizes with uh, agonist opioids for the treatment of uh, both uh, sickle cell pain, but pain in general, uh, and and both of those are initiatives that are administered and led by APPs, but the research obviously is, is a team of folks, but the, being involved in those things, uh, be, having my MPH has, has enabled me to have the tools uh, that I need to to be involved in that research here uh, with the with the amazing team that we have in the in in the Sickle Cell Center.
0: Well, it certainly sounds like you have found. I don't think there's a wrong place for people in medicine, and I'm not sure right place is the right way to phrase this. But you have found the right place, right? So this is a great fit for you. It's something that you are deeply passionate about. It is a team that has said, like, yes, let's use your skills to improve things, and we support that. It's not an uphill battle to say, hey, I want to be involved in these things or change things. So before we wrap up, I would um, love it if you could share sort of how you, as you moved your way down the East Coast, and ended up where you are, um, how that came about and how you landed this most, you know, perfectly fit position that was almost like carved out and designed just for you.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what drove me down the coast. Uh, I definitely like the cold. So it's funny that I wound up here in, in, in a place that's much warmer uh, and much more full of soul than, than uh, the shores of Connecticut. But um, I particularly wound up in Baltimore, because uh, at the end of my public health program, at the end of my PA program, there was a panel that spoke uh, of PAs who had their MPH and how they were using both degrees in their career field. Um, And there was a PA here at Hopkins who had helped to develop and found the Sickle Cell Center uh, with Dr. Lance Cron here, and who had been doing incredible things for a decade. And she spoke at, a, at this panel. And I was uh, she, she's uh, just an, an incredible provider and had all these incredible thoughts and, and uh, was very outspoken and a clear advocate for her patients and very passionate, and talked about how she was using the full scope of her practice and was involved in research on buprenorphine and all these things. And so I was like, that sounds incredible. And like the kind of place that I want to be. Um, and so I, 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 I think that I emailed her at first. No, I, I went to, I found her on LinkedIn, um, and I shot her a message and just said, thank you for speaking at the panel. Uh, it was an incredible process. And, uh, you know, eventually we messaged back and forth and she was like, you know, we'd like you to come down for this observership, just to like, see the center and see what you think about it. Uh and i'd been interviewing at that point in time for you know three or four months at different locations and really wasn't happy with what i was finding and was getting discouraged with finding a position that i was passionate and interested in um and then i came here and it was like a perfect fit with uh what i'd done in my thesis on buprenorphine and with my interest in um, Healthcare equity and, and access to healthcare, and with my interests in being able to use my full scope as a PA uh, and get appropriately compensated for doing so, uh, this was like it, w- it was like a it was like a shoe in and um, you know, I wouldn't have ever imagined myself landing in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins University or Johns Hopkins Johns Hopkins Hospital, rather uh, for. Uh, Right after PA school, uh, but I, I definitely, you know, I, I think, like you said, a, a perfect series of events led to led to me being here and I'm, I'm very happy to be to be where I am.
0: It's a good reminder to everyone listening that if you see someone doing something cool. First of all, like reach out and say, that's amazing. I'm impressed by you. But also if you say, Hey, I want to do that too. You could learn from them. You could land a job. You could just expand your network and be more plugged in to people who are doing things. Because I think sometimes we don't imagine that it's we're capable of doing it until we see someone who looks like us or sounds like us or has similar experience. And we're like, Oh, if they're doing that thing, why can't I do that thing? Like, I've had three people this week message me about starting podcasts who are either NPs or PAs. And I'm like, good. I think that's wonderful. But you know, the reason they're LinkedIn messaging me is because like, they see me doing the thing that they want to be doing. So if you see someone in person or on the internet that is doing something cool and wonderful, yeah, it's okay to say like, Hey, that's amazing. First of all, kudos. Second of all, like help me become you. It's, you know, people are going to be flattered and helpful in that situation.
1: Yeah and don't be afraid to to do it because the you know there's it's there's really no downside you just do the cold email, do the cold message, slide into the D, like whatever the phrasing is. (laughs)
0: Slide into the DMs. I feel like I'm way too old to say that, but yeah.
1: Especially on LinkedIn. I'm not really sure it's the same. I don't know if we say Um, that. (laughs) But like, don't be afraid to do it because you inevitably are gonna create connections that will be useful in the future. And and the world is way smaller than you think that it is, uh, even even when you're a brand new uh, PA or NP.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a great place to wrap up and I would love it, Alex, if you could tell people where they might be able to connect with you online.
1: Um, So as I stated previously, LinkedIn is a great spot. I'm actually not, despite the fact that we've talked about it so much in this podcast today, I'm not actually that uh, active all the time on LinkedIn, but you can definitely see some of the stuff that I'm getting up to on there. Uh, I update it fairly regularly. Uh, Twitter is recently a defunct place. Previously, I was on Twitter pretty actively, uh, and and there was a great community of people on there. But that's no longer a functional item. And then you can always reach out to me by email. I'm more than happy to talk to new PA's, new NPs. There's a couple of mentees that I work with from universities that I've been at before that I love to discuss their process and 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 talk them through through stuff. Um, and so the, the moral of the story is please reach out to me by email. Um, it's just my name, alexchristafori at gmail.com. Really simple, really easy to remember as long as you can spell Christofori. but
0: if you- <laughs> <laughs> I will put it in the show notes so that they can copy and paste. So if people are looking to get a hold of you, that they can do that. Well, Alex, this has been a pleasure. It has definitely been inspiring. And I think it's really cool to see what people are doing, especially when they're really have found their place and have found something that they're so passionate about. It's a wonderful reminder to someone who's out there, maybe in a job that they don't love, or maybe kind of where you were before you found that position, that there are places in medicine where you can thrive and use your skills and make a difference. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Tracy. It's been a pleasure.
0: I love it when a guest reminds us that with the great combination of administrative support and the specialty that you are passionate about, that you can be part of a team that is improving the quality of care, changing research, and making life better your patients that it is possible to do that and find time to still take care of yourself is another challenge for another day thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the PA is in this PA is out congratulations you've just joined an awesome club by listening to a full episode of the PA is in you are officially on the unicorn PA team welcome aboard What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episode of the show. The life of your dreams exists on the other side of taking action. Keep making small shifts and keep getting better. Your life will improve, your career will soar, and you will have the confidence you need to create your own success. I will see you in the next episode. This PA is out.